Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, as we come this morning to our fifth installment of Ghost Stories, I, I want to take us to Mark's Gospel, and I actually want to look at a passage that I think does a great job of uh, you know, showing us and revealing for us the ground that we've already covered for those that might be newer to Grace Crossing Church, maybe it's your first time here with us. We don't always do a celebrate like this every week for uh, somebody on our staff, but we're glad that you got to experience one of our big values here, and that's healthy relationships. Mark chapter uh, 16, here's what it says. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who were with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, I'm probably going to get into one of the principles out of the three I want to talk about this morning. But the first principle is actually right at the top of this screen. The Bible says, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form. Here's the principle. Like the disciples, Jesus appears to each one of us differently. I really find that striking. That when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, he appears like a gardener. When he appears to the two men that are walking from Jerusalem on their way back to their home in Emmaus, a seven-mile journey, he appears as a religiously curious traveler. When Jesus finally appears to these 11 disciples, the Bible says that they mistook him for a ghost. It begs the question, why would Jesus appear differently to each of them? And I think the answer is simple. I think Jesus knew exactly what it was going to take for them to believe. In other words, Jesus recognized that that he needed to appear differently in a way that they could receive him. I think for every one of us here, that holds true. That each and every one of us have an encounter with God, and we experience God in different ways and at different levels. Perhaps this morning here you've heard of Bloom's Taxonomy. Any educators here ever heard of Bloom's Taxonomy? Well, Dr. Benjamin Bloom was a educational psychologist who in 1956 revealed his own findings that had to do with the way that students learn and the way that they apply the knowledge that they learn. Education has actually come up with several models as a result that are really based largely on Dr. Bloom's findings. But Bloom's taxonomy is very interesting and I think it connects to what we're talking about here this morning. There's one that's loosely connected and based on Bloom's taxonomy that that actually is the five levels of belief. For the sake of what we're going to talk about here this morning, we'll call it the five levels of our faith. 
the five levels of our belief or of our faith. The first level is we become aware. Whenever we become aware of something, we actually move then to a second level if it captures our curiosity. And the second level is that we begin to ponder it. We begin to think about it. We begin to mull it over and think about that knowledge or that information that we've received. But then from there, we begin to value it. So valuing it goes much deeper. Let me give you an illustration out of my own life this morning. For all of my life as as a follower of Christ, when I learned about the Sabbath, I knew that the Sabbath was significant. I've spent time thinking about the Sabbath. I've, I've spent time mulling it over, thinking of its implications. And, and, and I wouldn't say that probably a month goes by that I don't give some mental attention to the idea of Sabbath. I even value it. I value it to the place that I believe everybody should honor the Sabbath. Everybody should live it. Everybody should do it. And I've even preached about the Sabbath. But there's another level actually two other levels. The next level of taking this belief is what's called prioritization. We begin to actually prioritize something in in our life, and here's the reality. You can value something, but not personally prioritize it. It is possible for you to say, you know what, I believe in that. I think it's important, but you not to prioritize it. And the final, the deepest level that's driven down is called ownership. You begin to own something. And you'll notice what's interesting in this, loosely, in this loose model of Bloom's taxonomy is that in the middle of level three and level four, there's a gap. That gap is called the behavior or the action gap. And here's what it means. Until you really, really, really believe something, it's not going to change your lifestyle. You actually will not put it to practice. You know, it was one thing for me to talk about the Sabbath, to actually tell other people they need to value the Sabbath, but until I actually went through the action and behavior gap that I didn't do for years, and I began to actually say, I'm going to make this a priority in my life, I'm going to own the Sabbath for me personally, it never happened. I would always compromise the edges of my Sabbath, and I'd pay an emotional price for it. It's because I really didn't believe it. Oh, I believed it here, but it wasn't driven down deep into my heart. It wasn't driven down deep that my behaviors began to change. And now I own the Sabbath in my life. When I compromise the Sabbath, I know the difference and I admit it. Listen, I've been compromising the Sabbath and I'm paying the price for it. Here's the reality. The disciples were aware that Jesus was alive, but they were far from owning it. They they were far from saying, we absolutely embrace this and we believe this. They knew it. They were aware. They may even said and pondered it and said we valued it, but they certainly weren't living it. And so for every one of us, just like the disciples, they needed empirical evidence that Jesus was alive. They needed to know something more than a ghost story. They needed with their own eyes and their own experience to have an encounter with God. And like all of us here, The disciples needed a personal experience where faith became their faith. And with that, I want to interview somebody here this morning in our church family. John Kopelchek, will you you join us this morning here on the platform? Would you give him a hand as he comes? 
We got him out of our kids' ministry to come in here uh, this morning for the second service. I actually but, just got out of handcuffs. I was cuffed to an eight-year-old <laughs> for about the past two minutes. Or 20, sorry. <laughs> John, thank you. And we've only got a few minutes, but this is an important interview for us because I think it really illustrates what we're talking about of how Jesus appears. And let's talk about when you were a kid growing up. What was your understanding of God and Jesus and, and faith? Yeah, so my parents did a, a really good job of, of setting a good foundation to my life. Um, went to church all the time, went to the Methodist church. Uh, every Sunday we were home. Um, I got confirmed in the Methodist church, baptized in the Methodist church. I uh, did a really good job, um, except for I'm human and I went to college and I went away from pretty much everything they, they taught me. And as I said in first service, I probably would not have been convicted of being a Christian when I was in college. Um, and so... My junior year of college, um, there's a couple things that happened from my junior year till today that I really put a lot of significance in my growth. And the first one is I believe God really interjected a relationship in my life, and that's uh, my current wife, Lexi. Um, For about six years, she was the one who pretty much was dragging me down the the Christian journey. Um, I was not growing on my own. She decided, let's find a church. So we found a church, um, ended up here. Um, she was the one who wanted to get baptized as an adult. She had never been baptized before, so I made the decision to um, go and get rebaptized. Um, and from that point forward, the next thing that happened was I made a life decision to change the way that I'm going to approach things. I'm going to start being uncomfortable with my life. Um, I'm going to stop doing what I want to do, and I'm going to try to start doing what God wants to do. And, and that isn't comfortable. It, it hasn't been comfortable, but it's been very rewarding. And, and it's been that discomfort that actually has moved you beyond that action behavior gap. In other words, you said, I value this, but, but somewhere you began to prioritize it. What did that look like in your life, John, these last number of years? What's been changing, and where did you begin to prioritize and own your faith? Um, I would say I think I've been given, not through knowledge, but through just being able to communicate, the ability to, to teach or to lead. Um, and so I've now been a part of a men's group. Um, through Pastor Gill's asking and my initial reluctance, I um, decided to lead a connection group, which has been very rewarding. Um, and so I think those two things have shown that I'm willing to grow, um, and I have grown a ton from those two experiences. And I've gone into now um, leading a little ministry with the Wright State baseball team, which I was a part of. Um, so I'm trying to give back where I fell short quite often and trying to bring those guys um, along a little quicker than what I did. Yeah. And you made this statement, and I thought it was just profound. You could not have been convicted of being a Christian during your college years. I don't think that's true today, John. I think you have come to a place because of owning your faith that anybody that watches your life and watches the way you live, that hears you talk, I mean, you're not the same guy you were just a few years ago. And you recently, as God's been kind of revealing himself to you in, in greater measure, you've had a, you had a really unique experience just a few weeks ago. Um, tell us about what happened. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a really wild experience for me, and I have to preface the story. Uh, you're not going to think this makes any sense right now, but just take this fact for what it is. I'm a really good athlete, okay? So just understand that I'm a good athlete, and that does make sense into this uh, experience I've had with God. Um, so it was probably about five or six weeks ago. Um, we are, after the first service, we are getting ready to uh, do the children's ministry, uh, the second service. I'm talking with uh, David and Kendra Shoemaker, and Kelly Dukeman comes over and asks us to be a part of this prayer session that they're having for their daughter, Aubrey, who's going through some health issues. Um, never been a part of this before, so we go in that far room over there, 
probably about 12 people in there. Um, I'm very unqualified, probably the 14th most qualified Christian in that room. <laughs> um, and so people are surrounding Aubrey. They have their hands on Aubrey. I'm a little bit on the outer circle. I have my right hand on Gil's uh, shoulder and my left hand on Ashley, his other daughter's shoulder. And kind of direct pathway, there's a gap to Aubrey. And so I'm standing there. Everybody's praying. I feel really out of my element, never been there before. So I'm just listening for about the first two minutes. Second or third minute, I start whispering a prayer, and then all of a sudden, I'm starting to get moved out of this gap. I am, I'm getting pushed away. I have to keep taking steps, and this is where the athlete comes in because I'm not just going to lose my balance. So I'm constantly here, and all of a sudden, I'm away from the circle, and I'm up against the wall. And I'm no longer conscious of what prayers are being said. I just... I feel something right on my right. And so I'm trying to prove it, and I'm trying to push against this force that's standing there, and I can't move. Um, so it was definitely a being, the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, that was standing right next to me. Yeah, and I, and I remember we, we wanted to know from you, John, um, what it was you were sensing. Like, was this, was this goodness? Was this God? Or was this something that felt evil? And you said what? Oh, it was definitely good. So I've thought about it since then. Um, and in John 16, 12 through 15, I believe it is, Jesus is talking to the disciples prior to being crucified. And he's pretty much telling them, hey, guys, I have not told you everything that you need to know. Um, however, I'm giving you this power of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to allow you to understand things once I'm gone. Pretty much a bridge from, from you as a human being to me as Jesus. So we all have the power to interpret something like this. Um, so I've thought about this quite often, and I came away with three thoughts as to what this experience meant. And for the, the most significant one, I would say, has to do with, with Aubrey and the entire Dukeman family. And God did not have to disturb anybody in there. Um, but he did because he wanted to make sure that they were told and that they know God is with them through all these struggles that they're currently going through. Um, he was present in that room. And, I mean, that's what yeah. your purpose was, is you wanted him to come on in this situation, and he most definitely, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, is in this situation regardless of what happens. Um, and then I thought about why me? Why uh, this guy who is probably the least qualified person in there? And I think it's because of the personality I'm willing to come up and share with people, but I think the most exciting thing to me is I think he knows where my heart is, and it shows me that I'm on the right path and I have grown and it's, I need to use this now to even get better and better each and every day. So that's kind of the, the two things that I, that I came away with. That's awesome. Can we express appreciation to John for sharing? Thank you so much, man. Awesome. Thank you. You know, it's been aptly stated that a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Here's the point. We can argue all day long that that just doesn't happen. That you just don't experience God that way. That, that, that's never been an experience you've had. And when we've never had the experience, here's what we tend to do. We tend to discredit it. We tend to devalue it. We tend to think in ways that are looking down upon someone else's story. And here's the point. Here's the point. Don't expect God to appear to you the way he appeared to somebody else. And there's another side to that. Stop judging and envying the way God appears to somebody else. Because the reality is this. God chooses the creator of heaven and earth 
who knows our lives and knows what we need, knows exactly how to appear to us and how to show himself to us. And I think all God's looking for are open hearts that are willing to respond and willing to let him in. And that's really what God was doing. God wanted in. And John said, okay, come in. Come in and move. Brings us, and I'll just touch on this as we close. The disciples needed him to appear. But even when their own eyes saw him, there were doubters. That's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, when their two eyes were able to take in and absorb a piece of information, here he is. The Bible says they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Here's why I like this verse. All of them worshipped, but some of them still doubted. And here's what that tells me. That tells me that it's okay to worship God even if you have doubts. That doubts are not a sin. Doubt is simply uncertainty, which leads us to a point of questioning. And there is nothing wrong. In fact, let me say this. It is not a sin to question God. It is not a sin to have uncertainty. As long as we do what the disciples did. As long as we learn to worship through it. I think that's what this is invitation to do. To actually begin to say, God, we don't have everything figured out. There may be questions in our minds about the resurrected Christ and how you appear. But the reality is this. It is not my place to be the adjudicator and the final judge on that. What it is my my place to do is to, to love and worship you. To honor you. And as God has revealed himself to you, all he's asking you to do is to worship him in return. Despite your doubts. Despite your uncertainty at times. God is okay with our uncertainty. Let me just pray as we close, and then we're going to move into our reception for Jamie. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And There's more in this text that we want to bring out, and we will next weekend. And trust that you'll be a part of it with us. Father, we just ask you today to touch our hearts and to touch our lives and We thank you today for the reality that you are appearing to us and you continue, Lord, to show your presence to us in ways that they really confound the human mind, the human intellect. You you don't call us, Father, to have all the answers, but you call us to be believers, to be followers, to trust. And that's really what faith is. Faith is about putting to work our confidence in what we've not seen, what we've not personally experienced, but what we choose to believe. And God, we have good evidence. Many of these stories that are found in the, in the Gospels are great empirical evidence that you are the resurrected Christ. And so, Father, I pray that even despite our doubts, that we will trust and that, Lord, we will worship you through them. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for speaking to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to grow in our lives through what some in the first century called ghost stories, but we know that it was so much more than that. And we want to thank you that you are alive today and you're in the presence of this church. We love you, God. We honor you, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.